0: So is cheese for supper tonight? That, I think that was, he was making his order. He wants cheese for supper tonight. All right. Well, I want to thank Jonathan for just an amazing job covering, um, covering King Solomon in the good years. And when we decided how we were going to divide this, we said, okay, well, you take Solomon in the good years. I'll take him in the bad years kind of like good cop, bad cop kind of thing, you know. I'll, I'll take that. What I didn't realize is when I gave him the good years, that was like gobs, gobs of information, lots of chapters, and I lucked out. There's one chapter that talks about the bad years, and so uh, we're going we're gonna to camp down in there, but before we get there, I want us to think about really how great Solomon really was. He was extraordinary. Read in First Kings 10, "...thus King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom." Or if we use the outline uh, Pastor Jonathan gave us, "...in wealth and wisdom." And the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put into his mind." Every one of them brought his present, articles of silver and gold, garments, myrrh, spices, horses, and mules, so much year by year. And so, Solomon's success was amazing. And Solomon, God used Solomon even to write portions of the Scripture. But yet, in that Scripture, God warned Solomon, and and Pastor Wooster mentioned this in 1 Kings 9, but if you turn aside from following me you or your children, and do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them. Then I will cut off Israel from the land that I've given them and the house that I've consecrated for my name, and I will cast out of my sight, and Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all peoples, and this house, referring to the temple of Solomon, will become a heap of ruins everything you've done that's made uh this nation great even the temple that you built for the worship of god it's going to become a heap of ruins and that's exactly what eventually happened in the history of israel and solomon ends up being part of the problem that led to that we read in first kings 11 now king solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. And so that's where the tragedy began. We're going to look at Solomon's downfall, if you will, a wise man's folly under these five heads. First is divided love that we've just read about. Second, heart led astray because of that divided love. His heart was led astray to, third, the worship of idols, and that brought consequences. Delayed consequence was the loss of the northern ten tribes. The immediate consequence was adversaries, and there are several that are listed. But let's start with where the problem began, and that's what I'm calling a divided love. We read that, now, King Solomon loved many foreign women... Along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart from their, after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. Now, this is the second reference, actually, to what Solomon loved. Here's the first reference. 1 Kings 3… The first part of the verse, verse 3, Solomon loved the Lord. He loved Yahweh, walking in the statutes of David, his father. So, he loved God. He loved the Lord, the covenant God, and he lived his daily life according to what God had inscribed through David, his father. So, he's following in his footsteps. So, it was not that Solomon never loved the Lord. He did. Sometimes when we see somebody fall and turn away, we go, oh, well, he was just a hypocrite the whole time. I'm not sure that's even usually the case. I think a lot of times you see people that genuinely love the Lord and are genuinely serving him, walking in his ways, who end up turning away. And Solomon... This is the Scripture saying this, as if we want just the opinion of other people. Solomon loved the Lord, and God Himself testifies to that truth even after He had already married Pharaoh's daughter from Egypt. In that context of 1 Kings 3, it talks about His marrying the daughter of Pharaoh. And, and it goes on from there and, and talks about Him uh, worshiping at the high places before there was a temple. But His love was divided. Solomon honestly loved Yahweh, but Solomon loved many foreign women too. It wasn't an exclusive love. It's likely that he married these foreign women in part to strengthen political alliances. You remember how it said about these wives that they were princesses. They were related to royal families that were... Um, part of other other countries. And it, it was certainly the custom for ancient kings to display their power and wealth by acquiring many wives and concubines. So he might have done it for political reasons, to make alliances. I mean, if you make an alliance with a foreign king and his daughter's your wife, he's not as likely to attack you. And you're not as likely to attack him. And so it, it, it seemed like a good political move. And then with all the wealth and power that he had, one of the ways that you, you displayed that as an ancient king was having lots of wives and concubines. I mean, most of us can, you know, we can't afford to have so many... It's not that wives cost more than we do, but, like, you've got more mouths to feed. You've got more... You've got. How do you cover all, how do you buy all the clothes? How do you, how do you spend, I don't know how, he, I don't even if they knew, knew, knew them by name because with that many, you know, he'd probably forget who they were. But, um, but, but we know that even David had followed this ancient custom. He indulged himself this way, contrary to what God had directed regarding how Israel's king should behave. So, you know, when you're wealthy, um, there's a temptation to display your power and there's a temptation to indulge. There's a, there's a lot of sins that I never committed because I couldn't afford to commit them. You know, sometimes we, we complain. Obviously, your kids already highly value money. We complain about not having enough money. Well, that's part of the way we keep our weight down, and that's part of the way that, that we don't end up indulging in things because we can't afford to indulge in them. The more capacity we have, the more likely it is for our sin nature to show up. Well, in Deuteronomy 17, before Israel ever had a king, God directed how Israel's king should behave. And one of the things that he said in Deuteronomy 17:17, 17, 17, and he shall not acquire many wives for himself. Why? Lest his heart turn away nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And so really, when you look at what is laid out in Deuteronomy 17, King Solomon violated a lot of the principles there. A king, however powerful, however blessed by God, is still a human being prone to human pitfalls. And God had warned Israel against alliances with the nations of Canaan, and especially against intermarriage with them, because of how these binding connections would pull them into idolatry and judgment that idolatry brings. And it didn't matter whether you're a peasant or a king. It, it would tend to draw you away. This is a, a dangerous thing. Now, it wasn't that God had a problem with, with these just being foreigners. Because we know that that Rahab married into the line of the Messiah, and so did Ruth. But they were believers. They were worshiping the true God. The problem was marrying people that don't worship the true God. Look, if you want to have misery to your life, if you want to divide your heart, if you want to make all kinds of problems that are, like, impossible to figure out, just marry somebody. If you're a believer, marry somebody who's not. I don't care how good-looking he or she is. I don't care how much money they have. I don't know how they sweet-talk you. You know how They're going to turn over a new leaf and start going to church with you. No, run. Make, make sure the person you marry is a person that actually loves the Lord. Or you're going to put yourself in a position of, here's the person closest to you of all the people in the world and having to decide between that person and God. You want to marry somebody who loves the Lord. So some of you have got quite a number of years before you have to figure that out. But just make it a practice in your mind. Look, I'm not going to marry anybody who doesn't love the Lord. And as you get closer, and as you get desperate, don't, don't give in to marrying somebody that doesn't actually love the Lord. It doesn't matter if you're wise as Solomon and wealthy as he is. It will mess you up. In Exodus 34, God had commanded the Israelites observe what I command you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Take care, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. You shall tear down their altars, break their pillars, cut down their ashram. Those are poles that were used in, in these, their worship. For you shall worship no other god, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. God cares about the exclusive relationship He has with you. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and you are invited, you eat of the sacrifice, and you take of your daughters for their sons, and their daughters whore after their gods and make your sons whore after their gods. In other words, God from the beginning said, look, don't don't mess with this area at all. Don't, Don't let your heart be divided. In Deuteronomy 7, 3 to 4, Moses says, You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons, taking their daughters for your sons, for they will turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will destroy you quickly. Well, Solomon had access to these very scriptures. These are scriptures. This is part of the Pentateuch. Part of the first five books, the books, the law of Moses, that all the way from Joshua onward, he had access to this, as well as many of the prophets. Solomon had access to these scriptures. He was duty-bound to pay attention to them as king. But the divided love of his heart led him into violating these commands with which he was familiar. Despite all his wisdom and wealth, and despite all the good that he did, the divided love of his heart produced a bitter Harvest, and it's striking that although King Solomon's excessive indulgence is plain for all of us, I mean, like it, jaw-dropping to talk about 700 wives and 300 concubines. God identifies the root of it all at the heart level. The problem began with what Solomon loved. People pursue what they love and the older I get, the more I'm convinced of this, that people get what they want. People do what they need to do to get what they want most. Loving the Lord leads you down paths of righteousness. But if the love of your heart fastens on something more important to you than God and his commands, that love will lead you into terrible places you nor others ever thought you'd go. And I've watched it, and many of you have watched it happen in the lives of people that were fellow members at Hampton Park. None of us, if Solomon wasn't immune, neither am I immune, neither are you immune. This is the wise king who wrote, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. The most difficult job that we have to do in walking with the Lord is guarding our heart. It it so easily deceives us. It so easily turns. And because no one else can see it, we can nurture things there that we know don't belong. And, And it's just hard. I mean, I think I'm speaking for all of us, isn't it? It's hard work to keep our hearts pure. It's hard work to keep our lives, our hearts focused, keep our love focused where it belongs. We, we, can, we can entertain loves in our heart that don't belong there. And so I, I just wanna encourage you that, that whenever those things crop up, you know, be honest with yourself about where your heart is going and do the battle there. The Holy Spirit that's in you, if you're a believer, will help you fight that battle. And because you belong to Christ and because you have the Holy Spirit, you, you, you will find the strength and the willingness to fight that battle. We have lots of, of kids in our congregation, and many of them go to a Christian school. They know gobs of Bible verses. They, they, they could tell you the plan of salvation forward and backwards. They can sing all kinds of songs. But listen, kids, you've got to guard your heart. What, what do you really want? I know it's not a big deal that money keeps coming up, but I just want to say there's a reason it does. Money is great as a tool. It's terrible as a God. We're not in this life for how much money we can accumulate. It's useful, it's a gift from God, but it's not what we live for. And if I live for it, if it's the love of my heart, I'll be willing to sell my soul for money. Don't you be one of them. And it doesn't matter how many Bible verses you know, because Solomon knew a lot of Bible verses. He was way smarter than most of us, if not all of us. And and he still let something crop up in his heart that he loved more than God. He knew better than he practiced. He actually wrote scripture. He knew better than he practiced. And, you know, as I was thinking about this, This is true, I think, maybe of all of us. I don't always preach great, but I preach better than I live. I want my life to match what I preach. I don't want there to be a disparity between the two, but the reality is it's way easier to craft a message that works than to be faithful in my life seven days a week, 24 hours a day. And I'm finding, like I mentioned earlier, that you know, as you get older, it doesn't necessarily get easier. Easier. There, there are some temptations, you're, you're wiser, you've been through a lot of things, but, but the reality is you also hit that, what they call that midlife crisis, and you say, like, is this all there is? And while a young man, it's rare to find a young man, I think it was J.C. Ryle said this, a young man that's humble, it's, it's rare to find an old man that's content. And many times in our older age, we, we, we feel like, hey, we've paid the price, we've paid our dues, and now it's our chance to indulge. We must guard our hearts. So his heart was led astray. <clears throat> we read in the second part of verse 3, and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. All those wives, all those years, little compromises here and there, build them a palace, build them a shrine for their gods. And by the time Solomon is old, he he reigned 40 years, he finally gives in and joins them in their idolatry. His heart turned away after other gods. His heart was not wholly true to Yahweh. His heart could not nurture its divided love without harming himself and the entire nation. The Scripture does not say that he ever forsook the Lord. It doesn't say that he rejected Yahweh. What Solomon did is what we call syncretism, and that's where you blend in other religions. He still was worshiping Yahweh, but he was worshiping other gods as well. And I think this syncretism, this combination of worship where our heart love is divided is the thing you and I are most, most vulnerable to. There are very few of us who have grown up in the church or been believers for any length of time and have heard hundreds and thousands even of messages and have served in all kinds of ways, there's very few of us that would be comfortable with ditching all of it. It's, it's too much part of who we are. We're more likely to add in things that we also love that have the potential to take our heart away from the Lord. Nehemiah 13:26 the Israelites that have returned back after the captivity and intermarried with pagan women, and they're confronted on this. They said, did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin on account of such women? Among the many nations, there was no king like him, and he was beloved by his God. Remember, his nickname was Jedediah, beloved by God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, foreign women made even him to sin. Look, a man is supposed to love his wife. He's supposed to love his wife. And so if you bring somebody into your life that doesn't serve the Lord and and you try to love that person too, then the heart becomes divided. And it led to the worship of idols. In verse 5, For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites, so Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives. So these, this is just representative of the gods that he, he built altars to. He did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrificed to their gods. So the worship of these idols, Asherah was the moon goddess, and um, I think it was Milcom that was the, the sun god, and then you have fertility gods and goddesses here, it often involved immoral worship and even child sacrifice. Read sometime about what they did with children, sacrifice to the god Molech, and it will it will, it's just horrifying. It's a horrific cult practices. And Solomon aligned himself with this. Sin is not just wrong, it's also harmful. It's harmful to the one who indulges in it, it's harmful to those connected with him. It's harmful not just today, but tomorrow too. And we're going to see that. What Solomon did was common enough among the surrounding nations. Like when he engaged in this worship and nobody's going like, oh, Solomon's worshiping all these gods. You see, they're saying like, join the party. They're like, this is great. I'm sure there are plenty of these kingdoms that, that would have patted him on the back. Way to go. You finally loosened up a little bit. You're finally affirming of all these other people. You're finally multicultural in your, in your attitude. Solomon's participating in these abominations was evil in Yahweh's sight. You know, it doesn't matter who praises you if it's evil in the sight of God. Solomon, being part of these abominations, was turning back from following Yahweh with all his heart. If he he would give God all his heart, he would have never done these things. Remember what the first and great command is? Love the Lord your God with what? Yeah, all your heart, all your soul, mind, strength, I mean, everything given to God completely. In fact, the choir sang about it this morning, you know, beautifully, I am not my own. And, and we want to serve God with all that we are. Don't let any part of who you are stray up. And then we're going to love others as ourselves. And, and when we love God with all our heart, we're enabled to love others as ourselves because God loves people. And everything in the Law and the Prophets that says what's right and wrong to do is an expression. What's right to do is an expression of love. What's wrong to do is an expression of the opposite of love. And so the people today that talk about, oh, well, in the name of love, they say, you know, do this sin, celebrate this sin in the name of love. That's not love. It's not love. It's the opposite of love. Love does right toward other people. Love, Love treasures God. And love treasures other people as well. Well, there are great consequences to this. There's first a delayed consequence, and that's the loss of the northern ten tribes. The Lord was angry with Solomon, just like he predicted he would be, because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, since this has been your practice— And you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I've commanded you. I will surely tear the kingdom from you and give it to your servant. Yet for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of David, my servant, for the sake of Jerusalem that I have chosen. Solomon's divided heart led to a divided kingdom. The northern kingdom was idolatrous from the start. The southern kingdom would waver back and forth. The northern kingdom ended up being destroyed in 72, 722 B.C. when the Assyrians conquered them and took them in captivity. The southern kingdom fell to Babylon in 605. Both fell because of idolatry. So God took them into the territory of idolaters to learn what a scourge idolatry is. And by the way, this cured Israel of their idolatry. And they came back from Babylon. That was not the sin that was the problem for them anymore, because they saw idolatry in its full force. It would have been worse, except for the Lord's regard for Solomon's father, David, the man after God's own heart. And that teaches us that your faithfulness has far-reaching consequences, but so does your sin if you refuse to repent from it. So there is this delayed consequence that, that was going to go generation after generation. It's, I think it's important for us to think about this, because as we get older, we start to really sense our mortality. We start to sense that, that life is going by quickly. But, but listen, what you do for Jesus, how you serve him, has consequences generations yet unborn. And how you turn away from him has consequences for generations yet unborn. So what you do now, while we feel very time-bound, realize that how, how you serve God is not time-bound. It has ramifications that literally reach into eternity because God will reward even a cup of cold water given in His name. But it also has consequences in terms of how it affects the coming generations. The immediate consequences that Solomon faced were adversaries. So 1 Kings 11, 14 to 40, we're not going to... To read through all of this, but there's Hadad the Edomite. Edomite were the descendants of Esau. The Lord raised up the Lord raised up an adversary against Solomon. Hadad the Edomite, he was of the royal house in Edom. Well, how did he do this? Well, God used circumstances of history. When David was in Edom, and Joab the commander of the army went up to bury the slain, he struck down every male in Edom. For Joab and all Israel remained there six months until he cut off every male in Edom. But Hadad fled to Egypt together with certain Edomites of his father's servants. Hadad still being a child. Well, Hadad grew up, and he hated Israel, and he became an enemy of Solomon. And then there was Rezon of Syria. God also raised up as an adversary to him Rezon, the son of Eliadah, who had fled from his master, Hadad Ezer of the king of Zobah. And he gathered men about him and became a leader of a marauding band after, killing, after the killing by David. And they went to Damascus and lived there and made him king in Damascus. He was an adversary of Israel all the days of Solomon, doing harm as Hadad did, and he loathed Israel and reigned over Syria. And then finally there's Jeroboam. Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, an Ephraimite, he's, so he's an Israelite, of Zeredah, a servant of Solomon, remember he said, I'm going to give the kingdom to a servant of yours, whose mother's name was Zeruah, a widow, also lifted up his hand against the king, and this is the reason he lifted up his hand against the king. Solomon built the Melo and closed up the breach in the city of David, his father. The man Jeroboam was very able, and when Solomon saw that this young man was industrious, he gave him charge over all the forced labor of the house of Joseph. At that time, when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem, the prophet Ahijah, the Shilonite, found him on the road. Now Ahijah had dressed himself in a new garment, and two of them were alone in the open country. And Ahijah laid hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it into 12 pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, "'Take for yourself 10 pieces,' for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, "'Behold, I am about to tear the kingdom from the hand of Solomon, and will give you 10 tribes.'" And he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David, for the sake of Jerusalem, the city I've chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. Why? Because they've forsaken me and worship Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of Moab, and Milcom, the god of the Ammonites, and they've not walked in my ways, doing what is not right, is right in my sight and keeping my statutes and my rules as David his father did. And he went on to predict that if Jeroboam would worship the Lord, that God would bless him in his line. Of course, we know that Jeroboam didn't do that. He started golden calf worship. But here you have Solomon's name means peace. And the kingdom enjoyed peace for many years, but Solomon's divided heart ended up destroying that peace even while Solomon was still alive and for generations to follow. In what ways has the Lord blessed you? Think about all the ways that God has blessed you, all the ways that he's provided, the wisdom, the, the way he's helped you navigate life. Don't destroy the benefit of his blessing with a heart divided and led astray. This was a wise man's folly, a divided love, heart led astray, worship of idols, delayed consequences and immediate consequences of adversaries. Solomon, when he was old, we believe It's likely the time that he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. He had had it all. He had had tried everything, and yet he has some statements that sound kind of like his autobiography. Ecclesiastes 4.13, better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. Dead flies make the perfumers ointment, give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. So how did Solomon, what were Solomon's last words to the generations to follow? The end of the matter, all has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments, treasure them, guard them. This is the whole duty of man, for God will bring every deed into judgment, with every secret thing, whether good or evil. The wise man's folly was that he failed to guard his heart. Guard your heart with all vigilance. Out of it are the issues of life. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us fight this battle to maintain our chief love, our first love for you and to walk in your ways. Lord, help us not to buck against your commands. Lord, help our love for you to make us wholly yours for your glory and for the good of everyone whose lives we touch. For it's in Christ's name we pray.